Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book and chapter by chapter. We're looking at Psalm 107 today. So taking a little bit of a break from the Revelation chapters that we've been looking at. It's been really cool, um, but it's just, just a little pause button. You know, you can't just do a mad sprint like that. You got to take a little bit of a breather. Psalm 107 should be nice and easy, right? Uh, not much to see here. Uh, I'm sorry, 107, 117 rather. Uh, just just two verses, right? Surely we will actually, for the first time ever on Thy Strong Word, run out of things to talk about, right? Uh, actually, there's a lot going on. This is the shortest chapter of the Bible, uh, but it is in many ways the most unique. So we've we've got a lot of stuff to look at. It's only two verses, but... But hold on, there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye. Psalm 117. And joining us today, I think this is a new guest for us here. We've got Pastor Michael Morehouse, uh, pastor at Catalina Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona. Good morning, Pastor Morehouse. Good to have you on. And yeah, you know, we, we chatted a little bit yesterday, but Psalm 117, a lot more going on here than you might think. That's correct. Good morning, Pastor Espinoza, and to all those who are listening. Um, I'm first-time guest for you, but I've been on over the years with various um, hosts. Uh, and yeah, mm-hmm. I'm glad you clarified that we were uh, studying Psalm 117 and not 107, because I prepared 117, and we were going to wing it if it was 107. I'm sure it would have been fine if we had to wing it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, well, like, right. like we talked about, 117. But yeah, no, I uh, I didn't know this, but actually uh, I was looking at this and just kind of like a bit of trivia that popped up. Not only is Psalm 117 the shortest chapter of the Bible, um, at least as we have it in, in our kind of standard English translations, it's also the very, it's right in the very middle. So if you add up all the chapters of the Bible, and then you just take the one that's right in the middle, it's this one. So this is the very middle of the Bible, Psalm 117. So the Holy Spirit must have been involved in in the placement of that, <laughs> uh, not only in the uh, middle of the, or towards the end of the Egyptian Hallel as the, basically the pinnacle peak of, of the entire discourse from Psalms 113 to 118, but also in the Bible. Yeah. I mean, there's something about that, you know, I mean, like, I've, I I know that I, uh, I kind of commonly give the chapter and verse markings a hard time, um, because I, we go through and like we saw in Isaiah, just how there's a lot of spots where like, oh no, this is a, this is an Oracle, but we have a chapter division right in the middle of this. Right. But you know, for better or for worse, somehow, uh, there's some interesting stuff that we wind up with. And, um, as you were saying, um, it does occupy an interesting position in the sequence of Psalms, and we're going to be talking about that, but also in particular, and this is a big thing I think we'll be talking about, it occupies a very unique position in the middle of Psalm 116 and 118. It has a very unique relationship. I'm not sure there's any Psalm like this that has um, such a unique relationship with both the Psalm right before and the Psalm right after. That, that's correct. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned giving a hard time on the verses and so forth. Uh, I've been doing that for years also. Uh, as a result of a question of one of the members of the congregation a while back, uh, we did a little research and found that the versification that we now have came to us from the uh, Paginus Latin in 1528. And uh, Robert Etienne, 
uh, in the Vulgate, also in the 1528, uh, put in the um, the versifications, and then in the Greek they put it in in 1546, and in the Editio Regina they put it in in 1550, and the Latin Vulgate they ended up in 1555. Maybe before we go any further, we ought to open with a prayer. Yes, absolutely. Before we turn to the text here, let's go ahead and open up with a prayer. If you would, pray for us, for all of our listeners, and for all our brothers and sisters, wherever they may be. Sure. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in your word, you declare that your steadfast love toward us is great and that your faithfulness endures forever. We confess at times, especially at times of trouble and a pestilence like this, we are tempted to think that you have turned your love away from us and that uh, you are not being true to your word. Forgive us for those times. We ask, Lord, that you would bless those who are here today, bless those who are struggling, bless the families who have had members fall asleep in the Lord uh, due to this recent pandemic, and grant us the wisdom and the Holy Spirit to study these words that are yours for our comfort and consolation, all of them which show us your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through his name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. So, so yes, we, uh, we, we have this, this short little Psalm and, uh, just as, as we're just praying here, it's nice to be looking at this, at these Psalms, um, in the midst of everything else going on to, to refocus our minds. And, you know, I mean, just, just like this verse says, you know, that God's love is in fact steadfast and faithful and for forever. Um, even when it, seems uh like it isn't um before before we started praying you were just uh, pointing out that the the verse and chapter divisions that we kind of just take for granted they they're they're actually pretty recent um like you were just mentioning like the kind of the different editions whether in the latin or in the greek um but like only from like like the 1500s or so so they've, they've not even been around for 500 years and obviously the bible is much older than that so um, it's just kind of interesting that only in very recent history did Psalm 117 become this middlemost chapter of the Bible, you might say. But um, the Psalm divisions are actually quite quite ancient, in fact, right? Yes. Yes. The uh, this section here actually, um, which is called uh, has been called for a long time the Egypt, Egyptian Hillel, which are the Psalms 113 through 18. If you go back to Rabbi Elazier, he claims that it was first, this section was first sung by Moses and Israel. Um, hmm. And so that's his, his theory. Um, we're going back in a ways, um, but it has been around a long, long time. And um, in particular, the liturgical uses of this particular section are just wonderful, not only in ancient times, but in today's time. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that's right. I, I think that we'll see. There's a lot of application um, for us today, even even if it is um, as ancient as being sung, um, you know, by Moses and Israel, and even you know, uh, perhaps at Passover, at the first Passover, or um, at the at the side of the sea. We should go ahead and read. I think just these these short little two verses just uh, to introduce this psalm. So there's so here's one psalm uh, Psalm one seventeen. There is no superscription or title in the original hebrew so it just begins with just verse one so here it is psalm 117 praise the lord all nations extol him all peoples 
For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And there it is. I would say that. Shortest, yeah, shortest little psalm, you know, shortest chapter. Look, <laughs> that's yeah. right. And I would say that in terms of the psalms, this is just my understanding, that the theme of the psalms is actually in this psalm. That is that the faithfulness, uh, great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever is actually the theme of the entire five books of the psalms. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that I think that makes sense. So we, we, I think we've talked about it a little bit before that the, the Psalms have actually traditionally been been broken down into five books, um, you know, which is, is a little bit of an interesting thing to consider. But um, as as you look at those five books, I mean, they're not they're not five books in the sense of uh, like like first Kings, second Kings, third, you know, like, like it just goes on like some kind of sequence necessarily. But they're kind of five different collections, and they kind of broadly seem to have different kinds of themes, a different kind of focus, each one. But, I mean, it is interesting, just like you were saying. I mean, you can find these sorts of themes, right? Um, I mean, it, back in Psalm 1, right? You, you go back and right. you talk about, you know, a blessed is the man, um, you know, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And, you know, it says there in verse 3, he is like a stream planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. In its season, its leaves uh, do not wither. Uh, that that idea of God being faithful and preserving us—that that God that God's love endures, right? That there's a contrast between the way that He has graciously dealt with His people, and then you know, back in um, Psalm one, like like I was just reading, compared to the wicked who will not stand in the judgment, right? So that that kind of basic uh, contrast of uh, the the wicked who are judged, the righteous who are preserved by faithful God, and then the, the praise we offer. That is something that's kind of the basic posture, I, I, I agree, um, really throughout the Psalms. Yeah, I think that since you went to Psalm 1, we could go to Psalm 150 and bookend this in yep. terms of uh, the theme of this God's uh, steadfast love and his faithful faithfulness in terms of the concluding Psalm, in our, at least our English translations, that uh, it ends with, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then in his sanctuary, in his mighty heavens, in, for his mighty deeds, for according to his excellent greatness. Again, a bookend yeah. from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, showing that this Psalm 117's theme is, has permeated the scriptures, which um, shouldn't be a surprise to us since Christ himself said that the Psalms testify to him and God's faithfulness to his creation, his creator, uh, his creatures, particularly humans, is shown in his sending his son into our flesh to die, to bear our sins into the grave, to rise again, that we might be declared right with the Father. All of that is God's work of faithfulness done for us, shown throughout the Psalms. Yeah, well, and that's an excellent point that, I mean, really, Psalm 117 does find itself thematically, you can say, in the middle of, of all the Psalms some ways the really the middle of all the scriptures and it is interesting how the psalms in particular do receive such uh place of uh, such a place of priority even in the new testament right i mean right. in the gospels the lord himself um, right so you're breaking, uh, and, you're and breaking it's so interesting you do more quotations from um, uh, i do a couple things to to help that out 
interesting to see how the Psalms are accorded such a place of prominence, how uh, the Lord quotes from the Psalms. You've got um, when, of course, when the Lord was raised, you have recorded in Luke 24 that you, you have that revelation that's uh, it's given by the Lord to the disciples, that he opens their mind to understand the scriptures, and he says, "Are you've been slow to understand, right? Everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets, and the Psalms, right? I mean, so he puts the Psalms right, right, right up there with, with Moses. I mean, so it really is something how this this little tiny 117 shows us a, a very fundamental component of what, what it really the Bible is all about. I agree with that fully. Uh, I have used the Psalms for years in terms of pastoral care and counseling, uh, even working with other pastors. One uh, pastor said, boy, I wish I knew how knew the Psalms as well as you do. And I said, I, I really don't know them that well. I just read them every day. And if you read 150 Psalms every 30 days for more than 20 years, you'll, you'll eventually know them too. Um, yeah. The word of the Lord gets planted deep. The Holy Spirit uses it. And uh, in terms of this particular Psalm, it, I mean, it's significant in, in the life of the church and has been for thousands of years. Um, you referenced earlier, uh, Pastor Espinosa, about uh, the liturgical use or the Egyptian Hillel and how it was used at Passover. I've right. also found that it was um, used during weeks, tabernacles, dedication, and every new moon festival uh, at different parts of, in the history of the people, which for our folks that may not be familiar with the uh, Hebrew calendar, um, the reality is, is that the people of God would have chanted this psalm with this entire Hillel section, the Egyptian Hillel, 113 through 118, every year in the March-April time frame when they got the latter rains, the time of the barley harvest, they would have then chanted it again in May-June time frame using our calendar uh, during the dry season when they were harvesting wheat and tending the vines. Again, it would show up again in September-October during another dry season time, uh, the time of plowing. And finally, uh, during the November, December, early rains time. Um, so again, in addition to every new moon, uh, you would have it showing up to the major feasts throughout the year, life year of the church in the Old Covenant uh, era. Right. right. So and I mean, really, like all just all the time then, right? And, and well, I was going to say too, I've read also that that um, I, I mean, this is something that apparently also even if you go today. Is something that very commonly occurs in the daily office. So, in, in the prayers that are offered regularly um, in the morning and in the evening, uh, like especially like vespers, that this is a psalm that's mm -hmm. regularly in the rotation. So, this has been said um, in, in in the Western tradition, at least, very regularly. I mean, sometimes as often as uh, even once or twice a month, just which is the daily vespers prayers. So, I mean, overall, just a psalm that's been said by God's people kind of all the time. Exactly. And, I, and they're following a long and deep tradition of the church, uh, both of the Old and New Covenant, um, because this particular psalm, and I figure it's showing up so much in, in the uh, Vespers area in particular, um, the late afternoon services, because it, according to the school of Shammai, which was one of the two primary schools uh, in the uh, Jewish thinking, um, this would have been sung after drinking the last cup. Uh, during the Passover uh, in in the homes or in in the uh, yeah in the homes, 
So if, if right. antedate, the Jews antedate the Christian use, Christ then uh, appears to have used this particular psalm with the others after he established the new covenant in his blood, and they headed off to the Mount of Olives. So a long, deep right. tradition. And again, it's one of those, until you study it, you don't, you, you don't realize how frequently a psalm like this, this little short psalm, I think it's 15 words in the Hebrew, is used in the life of the church. Right. Well, that, and that's an excellent point, too, that, I mean, we, we've seen that when we were, um, I mean, just recently going over, uh, of course, the, uh, I mean, passion um, le- leading up to our celebration on, you know, the resurrection of our Lord. And, you know, we, we see that written in the gospel that, you know, they, they, they sung a hymn, I think it says, you know, before going out to the yeah. garden. But in all likelihood, that wasn't necessarily just like one hymn, that the word just kind of means like, they 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 hymned right and more in all likelihood right. just like you were saying they probably sang psalm 113 to psalm 118 in fact it's it's a virtual certainty like you were saying given uh the the long-standing tradition so that this would have been sung by the disciples and our lord himself you know on that night that thursday evening of of holy week uh it really it really is something that's prominent so i, I want to make sure that we can try to then appreciate this psalm and understand the the depth even though we only have two verses and i think that the with the rest of the time we have before we we take our break here i want to try to focus on the connection that it has to uh the previous psalm 116 because uh last week uh, or rather the week before during holy week we actually had one uh 116 we looked at that because of its strong connection with maundy thursday um, and the, the Passover and, ma- and making those connections. So just um, with maybe like the, the five or so minutes here that we have before our break, let's, let's kind of turn to how does Psalm uh, 117 work with Psalm 116, which immediately precedes it? Okay, and uh, it's interesting because uh, we talked about, you and I talked about this yesterday. People don't know what we talk about unless we tell them. <laughs> and yeah, that, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> that the uh, Psalm 116 basically sets us up for the peak that's coming in 117. And so in Psalm 116, and I actually listen to that because I like to do that whenever I'm on one of these shows, I like to hear what was said the, the study before, so I kind of tie in. And yeah. you, did a, you did a wonderful job in terms of declaring what God's glory is in showing his covenant love and faithfulness. And so as that is then declared, it sets us up for why we praise. Um, go ahead. Oh, uh, no, no, no. You, you go on ahead. I was just um, not nodding along here. Oh, okay. Well, again, if we nod our heads, they can't tell unless they hear it rattle, right? Uh, knowing that we're pastors, there's probably stuff rattling around. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, in Psalm 116, we have basically... God, a declaration of what God does for people. All the action is God's action in terms of grace and mercy for his people. It goes from the general to all his people, to the specific, to the one who's chanting the psalm, and then um, and concludes back to taking from the specific my vows to all of his people, again, to the general. Um, one can almost hear Jesus Christ himself applying these words to himself 
in Psalm 116 as he prepares to declare the faithfulness of the Lord in Psalm 117. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Um, the promise of, of the Father given in this through the Spirit would surely have been the word that was sustaining Christ through his time of passion, which I'm sure is why the um, church fathers that put together the lectionaries that we have um, chose it for Holy Week readings a long time ago. Right. Well, yeah, no, I, I think so. I mean, you see so many of these connections that, you know, when when you look at the way out that, uh, I think we talked about this when we did do Psalm 116, that it, it's a Passover psalm. You've got, you know, this this idea, you know, uh, I mean, like what, what it say there in 116, the snares of death encompass me, the pangs of show laid a hold of me. You know, you, you can imagine, right. you know, the, this, the, uh, the people going into the Red Sea. They've got water on both sides. They've got Pharaoh behind them. It, it is if they have gone down into Sheol. And then the question is, will they come out on the other side, right? Um, and, and, as, right. and as it goes forward, right, into, uh, you know, verse 12, verse 13, you know, I will lift the the cup of salvation. I mean, I mean, just mm -hmm. thinking about. I, I mean, you actually had, you know, at that Passover celebration, um, th these different cups, and um, you, you would right. even call one of them the the cup of salvation. And so, thinking of that Passover context, um, thinking of when uh, one sixteen would have been sung when the when the temple um, was was finally rebuilt and the people had been brought out of the Sheol of exile from Babylon. You, you think of those, those kinds of moves and what we have in the Lord Jesus is very much a new exodus, a new uh, release from exile. And, and it's really something to, to meditate on that during passion week, uh, that the Lord Jesus, his, his passion is, is an exile. Uh, it's, it's a release from exile. It's, it's freedom from slavery that it's it's those Old Testament events, um, but just in a so much more profound way. That, that is correct, and and uh, we can see then how it flows into the new New Testament or New Covenant usage. Um, I actually did a little background on the Babylonian Talmud. Um, hmm. Congregation was gracious enough to buy the entire set for me. It's an English translation. Um, but we have the, this psalm, the actual historical setting where this psalm we can point to and say, at least at the time this was composed, um, the Babylonian Talmud, that, that we would definitely have in the temple the Levites proclaiming the Hallel Psalms after the uh, blood was tossed toward the base of the altar after the Passover lamb had been slain. So taking that then into the New Testament, Jesus says this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood or the new covenant in my blood, you can see where this then would tie together with this as he established his supper for his people bringing forgiveness, life, and salvation. And also we want to think about the time that this was done throughout the old covenant. It was declaring in Psalm 117 in particular, moving from 116 back to 117, that it includes all the nations. It wasn't just the Israelites. And right. again, it's, it sets us up for the new covenant era. Well, well, right, and that really is. I mean, when you just look at just these two verses, right? I mean, we we, we can't we can't lose sight of of just this the the psalm proper. You know, it is it is so, somewhat 
uh, I mean, surprising just all by itself that you've got the the logic here. Praise the Lord, all nations extol him, all peoples, right? And wh why should they do that? And it gives the reason in verse 2. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness but. of the Lord endures forever. So, I mean, you think about that. Why should all the nations praise God? When the reason is, well, he blesses Israel, right? And and that's and that really is. There's something really profound in there. Uh, let's turn to that in just one minute here. Everybody, hang on. We're looking at Psalm 117 here on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're joined today by our guest, Pastor Michael Morehouse, pastor at Catalina Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona. A great opportunity for questions today as we're looking at Psalm 117, the shortest and middlemost chapter of the whole Bible. And as we were talking about, uh, really right in the middle in terms of the theme and, and kind of what the Bible is all about in a lot of ways. And we were just kind of breaking that down a little bit before the break, how there's there's something of a little bit of a paradox. All nations should praise God because of his faithfulness to Israel in particular, right? And so how, how does that work? Um, if you've got a question for us or a comment, you can join the conversation here. If You can send us an email today, kfuo at kfuo.org. Uh, the, the phone lines aren't available today, but we'll try to have those for you guys tomorrow if you do want to call in. But for today, just the email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Or as I was saying uh, over the break, for everybody who's following along on Facebook, you can type in any questions or comments you have um, there on the live stream that I've got going on Facebook Live. So, uh, yeah, so we were just looking at that, that, that there really is this little bit of a paradox, which, which I think also, you know, brother, we were talking about before the break you know, connects to why this has been used so much in relation to uh, Passion Week and then into Easter, that there is this this thing of all the nations should be praising God because of what he has particularly done toward Israel. Um, and, and that, you know, wh why would why would they do that? I mean, why wouldn't they, uh, why would they say like, oh, okay, so he's good to Israel. Well, but how does that help us, right? That's kind of the worldly perspective on it. But in Easter... And this is kind of like we talk, you were talking about, too, I think, um, in Psalm 116 beforehand, how there's the narrowing down to the one individual. Um, in Easter, we see particularly how, because of what God does to just Israel, and in fact, because of what God does to just one man, all humanity, the whole world, is blessed. I mean, I, mean, I think it's really in light of Easter 
that you actually see 117 here um, really come out into full blossom. And it's it's amazing how this short little psalm in kind of the most succinct way kind of states the, the paradox of the resurrection. Yes, that is correct. And it's actually interesting that those who put together the lectionaries then took this Easter, um, Holy Week Easter narrative and the concept of all nations being blessed which in Psalm 117, verse 1, the last word in the Hebrew is an alien use of that word. That's the only place in the Hebrew Bible where that particular word for peoples is used, that it leaps off of that and places Psalm 117 in the one-year lectionary and in the lectionary series B and C during the Epiphany season. In fact, Mm. um, during the... Uh, gradual for the Epiphany Feast uh, in the one-year lectionary that we currently have in our Lutheran service book, uh, it actually transitions one from the reading of the Old Testament text into the Epistle text as the reading step up in terms of Old to New Covenant. So it's used as a transition there in the the one-year lectionary. And then Series B and Series C in the lectionary that we currently have uh, in our in our Lutheran service book, uh, it's used at, from what I could find, we don't use the three-year here, but it's used for every Sunday as the gradual during the Epiphany season in Series B and Series C. Again, Mm. this concept of moving from Christ's sacrifice for all people, his resurrection, to open the kingdom of heaven to all believers, into then the Epiphany feast where he's manifested to the Magi, and then through that time where... where the church speaks of uh, Christ's work among his people for for the peoples of the world. Right. Well, and you think of like the Song of Simeon, which is just so emblematic mm-hmm. of the Epiphany season, right? You know, a light to reveal you to the nations, right? And, and that really, we got to stop and, and pause and appreciate this, that, you know, when we, we can skip over this, right? Because like one, 117 verse 1, it, it can kind of sound, I don't know, it, from our perspective in, you know, 2020, like kind of, I don't know, United Nations, kind of like international global cooperation, right? I mean, just think, think of our present circumstances, right? Everyone's all about international cooperation right now, anyway. <laughs> um, right, right. Or at least, at least we say we are, right? So, I mean, 117 verse 1 just kind of sounds nice. You know, praise the Lord all nations, extol him all peoples. Yeah, sure, of course. Why shouldn't they, right? Um, but when you look at the Old Testament background for all nations, I mean, that word, as you were um, pointing out, that first one is, you know, goyim. I mean, Gentiles, right? All, all, all the right. people who don't know God. I mean, look, we were just looking at Revelation, right? I mean, these are the people who are embodied um, in many ways by the red dragon. I mean, the, the enemies of God who are constantly being used by Satan to accuse his, uh, the people of God, right? The the perpetual enemies embodied like in, uh, you know, Edom, you know, Esau, right? Always uh, fighting uh, Israel, uh, Jacob. So, I mean, like, it's really crazy that we would have um, really in this psalm, you know, that that's who we're saying should praise God. It's the the Gentiles and nations, and as you said, also that um, that then the second word that's used is a little bit uh, unique, but just kind of highlighting the the strangeness of who is being called to to worship God as strange as um, even you know uh, astrologers from the east. Right. It's not just. All, all goyim, all the pagan nations, but all tribes or peoples. And I did a little back check on that word because it's unique. And it yeah. lies in, in, in the lexicon 
under um, the word that indicates wide and roomy. So it, it's giving the concept of all people, it means it's wide enough for everybody for all time. Right. It's actually yeah. the words that come just before it deal with, with, uh, with woman uh, in terms of uh, being the childbearer, so wide to bear birth. Um, I wouldn't go too far with that in a sermon, but we're doing a Bible study. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, no. The, the uh, some some of the backgrounds for these uh, these Hebrew words can be obscure, and 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 of course, when you look at um, like the critical editions, like there's different notes about how you got some variance on, on that last word because it is a little bit odd. And actually, speaking of what we see in the critical edition, um, we ought to, we ought to note this for everybody who's following along. And you look at your English Bible, and it's just you kind of look at it, and it says, okay, this is this is Psalm one seventeen. Of course, it is. Why wouldn't it be? Uh, but when you look at the Greek and the Hebrew uh, editions of the Psalms, uh, which are which are both quite ancient, I mean, I mean, really, you, you might say like, well, why would you care about the Greek? Because that's just a translation. But um, really, the the Hebrew that we have is arguably not any older um, than than the than the Greek translation that we have. So they're both actually very ancient witnesses to the text. But what's what's really interesting is you can note that in the manuscripts. There are a bunch of them that actually combine Psalm 117 with 116. So it's all just one long psalm. Um, and then there's a bunch of manuscripts that actually combine 117 with 118. So that it's right. the introduction and not the conclusion of 116, but it's an introduction uh, to 118 instead. So actually in, in the manuscripts, you see a, a kind of... Uh, you know, uh, ambidexterity, we'll say, right? It, it, can, it can really seem to go either way. And in fact, uh, you kind of see this too in the Greek, because here, uh, if you look at your English edition, you see praise the Lord comes at the end of 116, and then praise the Lord comes at the end of 117. Well, in the Greek, it's flipped around, so that that praise the Lord from the previous psalm is actually the first word of 117, and then the the second praise the Lord is actually the first word of 118. So the manuscripts themselves show that 117 here has this very unique position and that it is uniquely the only psalm that is both the conclusion for the preceding psalm and also at the same time the introduction to the next psalm. I mean, I mean really, so if you're going to read 116, it's like you have to read 117 afterwards. And if you're going to read 118, you have to read 117 before it. Uh, it, it's it's this really unique psalm in that respect. That that is a, a wonder, wonderful theory. I, I think it has merit. On the other hand, uh, Saint Paul in Romans chapter fifteen lifted it by itself without one sixteen or one eighteen mm-hmm. in terms of uh, his apologetic for why the Gentiles are brought into the uh, the new covenant. So mm-hmm. I think you, you, you and I talked a little bit about it yesterday. We see it fitting together with both. We see it as a bridge. We can see it with one or the other. But the right. Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. lifted that section. Uh, and it looks like he used the uh, Septuagint. And mm-hmm. uh, he lifted that section and used it as a rationale for why the Gentiles, those who were not of uh, Jewish mothers born, uh, that they would be allowed to be into or should be accepted into the new covenant church. Right. Yeah. No. And we should 
I take a look at that use in Saul, uh, in Romans 15, like you said, where St. Paul quotes it. I mean, it really is something there. And when he's, I mean, this is like towards the end of Romans where he's, I mean, really the, the whole book is just about, the, about this Jew-Gentile connection, right? Um, you know, is there any advantage in being a Jew, right? Are the Gentiles somehow like second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven, right? Um, and, and so this whole book, he's, he's building up this whole letter, right, in Romans. He's building up, building up this argument. And then you know, he's in chapter 15, and he goes and he cites a bunch of scriptures, um, and he cites, um, I mean, from Deuteronomy, so something from Moses, right? Um, he's, he's got something from Second Samuel, um, so the, what, are, what are called the, the latter prophets sometimes, or the historical books in different traditions. You've got something from Isaiah, and you've got this psalm. And so he just lines them all up and says, you know, look, the whole of the Old Testament is actually pointing towards this, that the plan all along was that the Gentiles would be brought in. And so um, just as you were saying, it's, it's a great example of how the psalm, um, yeah, yes, it's an introduction and a conclusion, but it stands on its own, um, e even with just two verses, because of what we've been saying, how, how uh, just uh, uniquely succinct it is as a way of stating that, that gospel, that universal gospel theme, which we, we can easily overlook or take for granted, but was, was scandalous, really, um, in the older context. That's correct. This psalm and Paul, again, wonderfully under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit shows by putting the psalm where he did that the worldwide mission of God on behalf of people was to reach out to all peoples with this good news, not right. just those born of Jewish mothers. Take it back to the Abrahamic covenant with yeah. a conclusion, I would say, or perhaps even to the covenant uh, God made in the garden as he restored Adam and Eve um, to bring the one who would crush the head of the serpent um, would be for all right. their descendants. And uh, right. again... Uh, a beautiful psalm at the center. Uh, every time I do one of these studies, I end up saying, well, this is my favorite whatever. And so right now, this is my favorite <laughs> psalm. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's right. I, well, I know. I mean, it's, it's uh, and, you know, like you were saying, too, I mean, it's uh, it, it's not something that would be too difficult to memorize. And uh, it's something that, uh, I mean, I, I really like what you were saying, actually, in the, in the first half of the hour, that the, the psalms, right, and really any scripture— I, I guess some we sometimes we act like whoa. I mean, you you have something memorized here, or you've got this memorized, or you seem to be very familiar with this, and and we act like it, it takes a special gift, or like I mean, this is some kind of uh you know kind of arcane skill, you know, just memorizing tons of stuff. Like how can you possibly do that? But it's just like you were saying, it, it's actually just a very human thing that very naturally comes from. How often do you read this? Because I mean, if you read it regularly, um you will just end up <laughs> you'll for 117 you'll just end up memorizing it accidentally for those of us who who have grown up in liturgical traditions like you know when when did you need to stop looking down at the lord's prayer right um, exactly my my, exactly. I mean, my my daughter knows it she's 3 she's 3 years old i mean i mean it's just it just happens when you say it all the time that's correct um, we've seen that here over the years um we chant the words of institution, that being a good Lutheran tradition at every service where we have uh, the sacrament of the altar. And um, almost every child since we started this 20-some years ago that reaches about the age two or three starts chanting it back 
to me or with me during the divine service. And it and it's funny yeah. because to watch it, it, they have memorized this, which is a helpful yeah. thing. Uh, which then speaks to how some people find it easier to memorize, and that is by singing. And of course, we could make yep. the argument that that this concept of the hallelujahs were were to be sung in the temple, and then later Jesus they went went out singing, probably more than likely this hymn or this uh, psalm. But we also have a hymn in our hymnals um, written by Isaac Watts, a good not Lutheran, um, who yep. uh, composed this. Uh, 17th, 18th century, somewhere in there, um, from all that dwell below the sky. And as mm-hmm. one of our musicians pointed out, has pointed out repeatedly, she sings a hymn each day as part of her daily devotions, and she's memorized a lot of them because she's just been doing it for several decades. I right. won't dime her out on her age. But uh, in this case, for someone who's saying, I'd really like to memorize this song based on what we've been studying um, today, uh Take a look at uh, From All That Dwell Below the Skies by Isaac Watts. It's hymn 816 yep. in, the, in the Lutheran Service book. It's to, uh, a tune that is very familiar uh, to our people. And I, I won't bore you with singing it, but, but I think it would be helpful to hear how Watts, in English, put this psalm. From all that dwell sure. below the skies, let the Creator's praise arise. Alleluia, alleluia. Let the Redeemer's name be sung through every land by every tongue. Alleluia, alleluia, and then a triple alleluia. Then the second verse, eternal are thy mercies, Lord. Eternal truth attends thy word. Alleluia, alleluia. Thy praise shall sound from shore to shore till suns shall rise and set no more. Alleluia, alleluia, then a triple alleluia. Again, very easy way to memorize the context of this and the content of this song. Right. Well, and, and, uh, and I, and I appreciate you really just, uh, bringing this up to just about the, the singing, you know, and, uh, and I can, I can relate. It's really, it's precious to see my, my three-year-old girl just, I, I mean, like when, when, when she hears daddy, like singing or chanting something, she just starts joining in. Right. And, uh, it's, it's really something how, like, you know, we're all kind of scratching our heads. Like, how do we engage the children? You know, what can we do for the children? And, you know, and I, and I have fun doing children's messages and, and storytelling with, with the children too, but, um, they love, they instinctively love singing and chanting. They, they actually think that's really cool and memorizing things. Like <laughs> we, we kind of have under, undersold how effective, the 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 old traditions of the liturgy are actually really effective with young children um and and really there is something about the word alleluia it's just kind of not meant to be spoken it's it's meant to i mean i I think it's either meant to be um shouted at the top of your lungs um probably with your hands in the air or something like that right or at least a fist or something Uh, or or (laughs) or sung right And, and i think it's it's so interesting how I mean, I was just, uh, I had it earlier in the week stuck in my head, uh, an Alleluia song, Easter song uh, that we sang on Sunday. It was just stuck in my head. And it was just, uh, it, it's just something how it just is something, it's kind of perfect for being sung. And uh, just as you were saying too, of course, the Lord and the disciples sang this um, when they were leaving um, their Passover celebration with, with the institution of the Lord's body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins and the sacrament as they went out to the garden. So, uh, you've got this this one seventeen, just this this beautiful short little song, wh- which really has made quite a home for itself in the midst of our tradition. We, we've seen how 
it makes sense um, as a fitting conclusion for 116. But with a little bit of time here, I want to take a look here at how it how it sets up Psalm 118, uh, because sure. in a lot of ways, it, it's a it's a fantastic introduction for what follows in 118. Um, and you can kind of see that right away. Um, and 118, also a psalm <laughs> that has made itself uh, home in our tradition. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Um, this is included, of course, in Luther's uh, catechism prayer for returning thanks mm -hmm. after a meal, right? And so in that right. in that returning thanks prayer, uh, he kind of stitches together a couple psalms. Um, so it goes like, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Um, he gives food to every creature, to the uh, cattle and to the young ravens when they call and, and so forth. And so there's a couple together that he's kind of put together um, to to express the idea of of God's goodness to all of creation, right? Which, which right. as you were just saying, is, is what you see in, in 117 already, that the goodness of God is just, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's universal. Um, it, it's, it's what we've been talking about actually in um, Revelation, I mean, because even though in Revelation, like so far, um, we've, we've gone through chapter 17, it, it seems very, um, you know, like it, it's, you know, the people of God versus all the Gentiles, all the peoples out there, right? The people who follow, you know, the, the, the beast from the sea or the beast from the, the land, right? But what, where is it going in Revelation? Well, uh, the dragon is going to be locked up so that he no longer can deceive the nations because it's time to bring them in. I mean, so that, that's the vision of Revelation, too. This is where all this is going. You've got those four living creatures, the animals. The animals are all praising God. It, it sets it up really beautifully that there's this this universal praise of God. All based on the second verse, the rationale given in the second verse of Psalm 117. Yeah. For mighty upon us is his chesed, his steadfast love, his loving kindness, enduring love. And faithfulness, which also could be translated truth of the Lord, mm -hmm. for it is eternal. All of you praise the Lord. So the rationale for levering back to 118 for why we yeah. can give thanks to the Lord is because his might is shown in his loving kindness and faithfulness or truth for all. And that it's yeah. eternal and that the word of the Lord does not change. So all peoples from all times can be brought in. Those who reject it, uh, that's on them, but it's not the will of the Lord that they reject it. He, his will is shown here. That he, His will is that his love would be shown to all people and that they would then see his faithfulness and then be able to give thanks to the Lord because his love for them endures. And I appreciate you making that point about the word truth there, because you're right. Um, it can be translated truth. Um, and in fact, that's exactly what the Greek translation does, translates it with the standard word for truth, the same word that our Lord used when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, but in the Hebrew, it has this sense of um, like, like truth in faithfulness. And, and it's like the idea is if someone says, uh, if someone makes commitments and they speak truthfully as they make those commitments, right? That means that they are going to make good on what they have said, right? Like it's a true promise if, if they're actually going to do it, right? It's, it's a true statement of their intent if they sincerely 
uh, intend to follow through and they do so. Right. So you can see how there's that connection between truth and like what you say, um, and then, and then faithfulness and actually bringing the thing to completion. And so that really just beautifully ties into, um, just the theology of the new Testament, the theology of the word that, that Christ is the word that he is the, the yes to all of God's promises, right? That, that God does uh, make good on those promises, as you were mentioning, going all the way back to the garden to, to crush the serpent's head, right? Um, that he makes good on the promise to Abraham that all peoples of the earth will be blessed through Israel, right? I, I mean, God's not answering, uh, not, not, not making good on all his commitments unless all of the Gentiles, and in fact, all creation, even, even the animals that we share this world with, um, are blessed through his people, Israel. That's correct. An, an older generation might say that uh, God walks the talk, and he does it consistently. He never doesn't walk the talk, therefore you can trust in him, which is why then you can give thanks, because he doesn't lie, and he's always faithful to his promises. In terms right. of, uh, again, the psalm is pointing that to us. There's also one other tie that I wanted to make out of Psalm 117 that uh, you can't see my manuscript, but our people here are used to seeing. I used to be an Army aviator, so everything I do has got highlights on it in different colors to bring out different things. Nice. Anyhow, um, the, the last word in that we talked about earlier about the tribes or peoples, that unique word in All verse right. 1, uh, in the in the standard lexicon um, is in the same section as the word that we're talking about that's faithfulness and truth in the lexicon in verse two. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the concept of the wideness or for all tribes and people, God's truth, his faithfulness is for all people. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, had, I hadn't considered that, but yeah, no, I mean, it is when you look at the root, it's a very, um, it's either the, the same root, like a variation on it, maybe, um, I mean, this is getting a little bit technical on the linguistic side, but, but that in Hebrew, I you standardly have that. root, root. <laughs> that's okay. It's good. You've got those standard roots of like three letters, but sometimes um, it, it seems like we can uh, reconstruct that sometimes there, there may have been related uh, two character roots that show that two roots were interrelated. And so that you might have this where, um, there's, and then uh, whatever exactly this might mean in terms of, of people, that this might be a word that kind of shows how those two are, uh, you know, maybe the idea like you were saying, like, you know, that a people is in fact um, a group that says the same thing or that they agree in their what is true or, I, I mean, which, which really kind of is a profound idea that we have in the Lutheran tradition about confession, right? And the idea of, right. um, you know, we, we, that first part of the word confession con t together with each other, right? Or, um, you know, like we like say in the Greek, you know, that, 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 uh, homologia, you know, that, that speaking okay. the same thing. I mean, what it really means to have a creed. Right. Right. The together word, if you will, or the, the united yeah. word and, and, yeah, that that and that the truthfulness is for all people again is brought out well in this psalm. So going back to our initial opening, we can see why, under the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, this psalm ended up where it is in the scriptures that we have now. And right. when when we talk center section, I think you're talking the English as opposed to the Hebrew, but it's right, still right. near the center even in the Hebrew. Uh, mm -hmm. And that um, and that placing it there for us. 
is to help us see what God's will is for all people, not just for those who are who are being saved right now, but those who will be saved by God turning their hearts and them stopping rejecting his word and his faithfulness. And again, right. God provides evidence of his faithfulness from restoring Adam and Eve all the way to the last person who's going to be conserv- conceived before he returns on the clouds. And this brings us hope in our day and age with the demon fear running throughout our nation uh, and people looking to the God of scientism or whatever to cure whatever the problem is, not realizing that God has restrained this because if he wasn't, we'd be home, we'd be back to where uh, the, the flood was, where only eight were saved. Um, so God restraining this right. in his faithfulness that his word might go forth. Right. You know, exactly. And, and when you look at Psalm 118, then, um, you repetition. Uh, I, I mean, the, the whole picture, right? Um, you know, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And uh, as all the nations surround me, as it says in verse 10, there's the idea of what, when God lets his people be saved by his grace in the sight of all the peoples, clearly by trusting in him and not anything else, right? That That's testimony to all the rest of the world. It's testimony to the reality of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great physician and, um, you know, the great champion of God who who fights to preserve us and who saves us and who restrains uh, this wickedness and, and all evil and calamity, um, as just as you were saying, brother. Uh, we're all out of time for today, but thank you so much. A short little Psalm 117, so much depth. Uh, looking forward to having you on again really soon, brother. God bless you, and thank you for your help today. All right, Brother Espinoza, God bless you, the congregation you serve, and the people that are blessed through this programming. Thank you very much. Everybody, that was Pastor Michael Morehouse, pastor at Catalina Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona, just looking at Psalm 117 today. And this is really good. Tomorrow, we're looking at 118. So we kind of already set it up. Good uh, side-by-side Psalms. So good to be looking at the Psalms and be blessed by them at this time. Until then, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.